Welcome to Verse by Verse, the teaching ministry of Pastor John Reed from Calvary Chapel, Northwest Reno. You'll want to grab your Bible and follow along, verse by verse, with Pastor John. We are in the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 32. Hold nothing back. The Christian life is one of total and complete self-sacrifice to Jesus and his church. And Jesus taught us to deny ourselves and to pick up our cross and to follow him. The first Christian church was one of extreme devotion and commitment, as we will read today. And Jesus left his new church in the powerful and miraculous hands of his trusted and spirit-filled apostles. We continue in the history of the church through Acts, and we want to copy this prototype. This is the model to us. And we truly want to experience Christian commune, as we will see here. Let's jump in verse 32. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. Sharing. Did your parents ever teach you to share with your brothers and sisters? <laughs> it's the same principle. But now we have a spiritual family, and we want to share with our spiritual family, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And what the church did is they took care of home first. They were united, and if anyone was in need, they shared they sold things off. They took care of one another. And we're going to see this principle that you take care of home first. Hopefully you are bathing and feeding and disciplining and take care of your kids first. Then the neighbors down the street, that kind of comes second. But there's a scripture, a man that does not take care of his own family is worse than an unbeliever. So there's the principle of you take care of home, home base, the church comes first. And then we reach out to the world. But surely we put our own as priority. And you see this unity, one heart, one soul, and I would say one purse. Verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And abundant grace was upon them all. In the church, there was an emphasis on the resurrection. It was like Easter every Sunday. Of course, we have the cross and we remember the death of Jesus, but we cannot stop there because what makes Jesus and Christianity unique from all other religions is our guy is alive. Their guys are dead. Our guy has an empty cross, an empty tomb, and he's alive and he sits on the throne of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. All other religions, their leaders are dead and in their graves. So if you ever have a world religion class and you're like, which religion should I choose? I say, choose the one with the risen Savior. Don't choose the dead guys because <laughs> you're going to have that future. But if Jesus rose from the dead, he promises he's going to come back and raise us from the dead. We will cheat 
death. We will be raised from the grave in physical form. Another emphasis that they had in the church was grace. I think when you come to church, you should receive grace and you should give grace. It shouldn't be judgmental and condemning and fighting and negative. It should be grace. Maybe someone comes to the church, they're hurting, they're broken, they're messed up. We extend to them grace. We want to accept them, love them, help them. Uh, it shouldn't be, you know, oh, here's your mistake, and, and we're pointing out your faults. That's the world. The church should be a place of grace, mercy, love, forgiveness, acceptance. Do you see this? And the first church was overwhelmed and filled with grace. You see, when you experience the cross, you get Jesus's grace. Now that you got the grace, give it to others. Give it to the congregation. Hopefully we become a church of grace. 34. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. It is what I call Christian commune. It's like a family. They're united. They're connected. They're taking care of each other. Now, this is the job of the church. Ties and offerings and love offerings. Many times we've had people in the church come to me and say, Pastor, there's this family in the church. They're having trouble with their rent to pay their bill. They will come to me. They will give the money and they'll designate it to help someone else. And then the church will give a check to someone in the church in need, but they won't know who it came from. That's like the early church, helping each other, bringing it in so we can give it out now. Governments, communism has tried to do this, I think, of the Soviet Union. But the problem when you have government do it, guess who gets most of the money? <laughs> the government and the governmental leaders. And we see in third world countries where there's abuse, the government leaders are rich and the people are poor. And what happened to the resources? And instead of being led by the Holy Spirit, the government sometimes is led by greed and abuse, and corruption. And so we've seen communism collapse with the former Soviet Union. 36, now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement. We're going to see an incredible giver, he has been joining the church. Now he's going to sell some land and bring a huge contribution. And he has pointed out as an example a big giver. And we are introduced to Barnabas. He's an encourager. He is an important person who will rise up from giving money. He's going to end up becoming a person who gives himself. And he's going to be one of our first missionaries. And Barnabas, if you recall, becomes the partner of Paul. 
And remember, Jesus sent out the missionaries and the apostles as teams, his disciples teams of two. Barnabas teams up with Paul, Paul and Barnabas, and they become missionaries. You see this in Acts chapter 13, verse 37. And who owned a tract of land and sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas is a giver giving it to the church, to the leadership. Uh, Just recently we had a unique, I think, Holy Spirit thing where in the last month thousands of dollars have come in, mainly for the new radio station that we're building, K-Book 93.3, Word in Worship for Reno and Sparks. We're bringing in a Calvary Chapel radio station based here in Reno and will be on the air this year. And things proceed to go well. But just thousands came in, and I'm just like blown away. Even in the mail, church members, people that it was on their heart, generous donations like I had never seen. And it reminds me here. And people are giving so that we can get the word and worship out to the lost, to one of the most lost twin cities of the U.S., Reno and Sparks. And people have a burden to give, to reach, to give, to meet needs. And I think it was a Holy Spirit thing. Christian commune. I experienced Christian commune when I went to Calvary Chapel Bible College. I had uh, been an associate pastor. I had my big house, had my whole life established, and I sold it all, changed it all. And my first day in Bible college, they said, okay, John Reed, here is your bunk bed. You get a couple feet of closet space. No newspaper, no radio, no TV, no movies. You're cut off from the outside world. This will be your life. You will live here, work here, eat here. This is your family. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've come to hell. (laughs) And it was like everything was stripped away. And at Bible college, they'd always say, you know, I'd say, I can't believe I gave up my house, my identity. I was a pastor, and now I'm like a nobody. And they're like, they'd say, this is their phrase they'd say to me. They'd say, God is breaking you. God is breaking you. I remember Karen, who was my boss in servanthood, she said, you know, I made the mistake. She said, John, what do you think would be the most disgusting, horrible job in the world to do? And I was dumb, and I said, I think scrubbing toilets is the most disgusting thing. I would never do it. And she said, guess what? Your new job here is at Bible college. We have over 300 toilets. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm in hell. And she's like, no, God is breaking you. (laughs) He's breaking you to build you up. And you know what? Calvary Chapel Bible College became heaven on earth. We would go to classes, we'd study, we'd eat, we'd fellowship, we'd play. We did everything together. In between classes, they'd break out guitars, and we would just worship the Lord. We'd go into the mountains of, uh, you know, Big Bear, Twin Peaks, if you know, uh, Lake Arrowhead. And we'd go in the mountains and just pray and minister to each other and sing and worship the Lord and take our Bibles, and it turned into heaven. And I didn't realize that I didn't need all those worldly things. All I needed was Jesus and his word and his people. And I lived in Christian commune. And it was the most incredible thing 
I have ever done. And it reminds me of Acts. I think the church should be like that. Loving, sweet, incredible, inspiring. And Christian commune does work when Jesus is Lord over the church and we are led by the Holy Spirit and God does invite you to join his family, the church. Don't fake your giving. And we have what I call here a counterfeit couple, husband and wife, that's going to try to fake out God, chapter 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. It is a team, husband and wife. We will learn they have conspired together to fake God out, to fool the leadership, the apostle Peter. But you really cannot fool God. Uh, they have stuff that was their own. They saw an incredible giver, Barnabas. They see the church giving and the excitement and the fervor. We want to give too. We're going to sell something expensive too. We're going to give 100% to God. We are sold out. And then secretly, they're kind of like, honey, let's keep half of it. We'll bury it. We'll hide it. Put it in the safe deposit box. No one will know. We'll join the show. The excitement will be spiritual too. Verse 3, but Peter said, this is Peter the apostle, the leader, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? Do you know the Holy Spirit can speak to God's leaders? And the Holy Spirit whispered to Peter, they're lying. They're holding back. They only gave half. It's just a big show. Didn't Jesus say, don't be like the Pharisees and they, they sound the trumpet and they show off and they get the applause of men and they don't give because they love God. They give because they want the recognition. I think you could do the right thing the wrong way. You can give to God with the wrong motives in the wrong fashion. And this is Ananias and Sapphira. Verse 4, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. It's yours to give. We call it a free will offering. Can I tell you, we don't make anybody give. <laughs> we don't send you a bill. We don't try to figure out your finances. You know, give if you want. Praise God. Uh, we hope you give. We hope you support the church, you know. We want to keep going, but we want to depend on God. It's a free will. It's between you and God, what you give, if you give, how you give. This is Peter telling Ananias, you didn't even have to give, but you gave in a wrong way. You tried to show off. You pretended you're sold out, that you gave everything, and you're really holding 
back. Verse 5. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came over all who heard of it. He was struck down by the Holy Spirit. Capital punishment. The Holy Spirit knocked him out. There's a scripture that says God holds our very breath in his hands, and all he's got to do is squeeze, and you're puffed out. You're knocked out. Can I say, don't mess with the Holy Spirit. He's very powerful. Yes, he can be a gentle dove like the Calvary Chapel symbol, but he can be a powerful foe and an awesome storm. I would not lie to the Holy Spirit. I would not battle the Holy Spirit. I would not make fun of the gifts and the fruit and the works of the Holy Spirit. And I would not blasphemy the Holy Spirit, the unpardonable sin Jesus taught. Verse 6. The young men got up and covered him up. And after carrying him out, they buried him. There starts to become an awe and a respect. Why would God be so severe? Because he's saying, don't mess with, my, with me, don't mess with my leaders, and don't mess with my church. It is the founding of the church. It's key time. It's a pivotal time to have uh, respect and awe and a holy fear of God and the things of God. Verse 7. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours, an intermission, if you will, in between. And his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. What is he doing? He's giving her a second chance. You know, let's clarify, dear. Come on in. Tell me what's going on. Did you really sell this land for this amount? Are you sure that was correct? Chance to come clean. Tell the truth. Be true to yourself. Be true before God. And she said, Yes, that was the price. She covers up. She continues the lie. Verse 9, Then Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. You're a liar. The Spirit has told me. I know the truth. Why have you conspired together with your spouse? See, they agreed together. This is what they would do. He is dead, and now you're next. Verse 10, And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. There is a hierarchy of authority. 
We covered this last week. We obey God first and men second. The authorities of God come first, then the authorities of men come second. It's true, God has a hierarchy. He has put parents over children, the husband over the wife, the pastor over the church, governmental authorities, police and governor and president, authorities, and God commands his people to obey the authorities. But sometimes the authorities contradict each other. What do I do when my parents tell me to break the law and do something immoral and horrible and nasty? You obey God. What do I do when my husband, my spouse, asks me to do something nasty and break the law and just, you know, turn my back on Christ and leave the church and do crazy things that I know in my heart are wrong? What do I do? You obey God above men. What do I do when the government comes in and says it's against the law to be a Christian and read a Bible and to witness? And what do I do? Civil disobedience, like we read in the chapter before. You obey God above men. I wish I could tell you that authorities will always be good and righteous and tell you to do the right things, but it ain't so. <laughs> Sometimes I do counseling and, and parents are doing wrong things. And spouses are doing wrong things. And I've got to counsel people, you got to obey God. You better know what the Bible says. You better know God's law and put God first. Can I tell you, Sapphira put her husband above God. And where did it end her up? Dead. <laughs> she put her husband before the Holy Spirit and she ended up in a grave. Do you see it? powerful lesson. And you could say, yeah, but the authority told me to do it. But what does God say? You are accountable before him. God trumps men. Verse 11. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard of these things. A holy fear, a hush. Wow, did you hear what happened? Ananias and Sapphira, they thought they could fool God. They were faking it. It was a big show. And there's their grave. A holiness, a fear, a reverence for the things of God. Experience Jesus' powerful church. Verse 12. At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. Oh, let me say in verse 11, we have the word church. It first appears. This is the first appearance in the book of Acts. This is what Jesus called it. He said, I will build my church and now we have the word appears here in Acts. This is what we're called the ecclesia, the called out ones, called out from the world. We're separate and different from the world. We're full of love and grace and mercy and holiness. And the church is so big, it has become a mega church of over 10,000 people. The biggest facility that could hold the church 
was the courts, the Gentile courts of the temple, Solomon's temple. And so we have Solomon's portico or the porches, the Gentile outward court. And it could hold tens of thousands easily. And this is where the church is meeting now. It's become really big. 13. But none of the rest dared to associate with them with the apostles. However, the people held them in high esteem. Oh, I don't want to be all buddy-buddies with Peter. Did you hear what happened to Ananias? <laughs> Sometimes familiarity breeds contempt. You become too close to someone and too familiar, and maybe you push the boundaries. Don't mess with the apostles. They are holy, and the people kept a healthy distance and, and a respect toward God's leaders. Thanks for supporting Verse by Verse, the teaching ministry of Pastor John Reed from Calvary Chapel, Northwest Reno, at 246 Courtney Lane, Reno, Nevada, 89523. Our phone number is 775-746-4567, and our webpage is calvaryreno.com. You're always welcome to join our services.